I think that it's an inappropriate time to play charades when you are being strangled by a seven and a half foot tall Peter Boyle. Oh, I was going to start by confirming whether or not I was an insane person, but that's fine. Oh, well, carry on. Are you insane? No, I'm not. There is a blind man in uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and he is the only one who is nice to the monster. And that is a... That is a... True fact. I did not make that up in my brain. Well, good. So, but yes, about your strangling charades. Yeah, no, I don't think it's the appropriate time to play charades when being strangled by a monster, but you know, that's just how these things happen. Sometimes you need to communicate and you were being strangled to death. Uh, So, you know, it's just how it goes. And I don't know that there's anything really that can be done about that, if I'm honest. Uh, but also, Sedegiv is hilarious. Sedegiv might be one of my favorite jokes in the entire thing. I, I really enjoy the charades portion, but I also was a theater kid, so we played charades a lot. So it's just, it's really funny to see it out of context. I don't know. I enjoyed the whole gag. The whole bit was really funny. The physical comedy was pristine. From both, uh, from both, um, Gene Wilder. Sorry, I like. I literally, my brain just blanked his name, Gene Wilder, and then um, who else? That's a great question. Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle. Fuck me. Who else? Marty Feldman. I was mainly talking about um Gene Wilder and Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle is so good at this. You should, Gene you Wilder should. and Peter Boyle, they have a moment where, like, um... Should in, be a professional podcaster. Inca and Igor are not getting what he's saying, and, like, they, like, he stops strangling him, and Gene Wilder also just, like, looks back at him, and they have this full pause moment of, like, can you believe this is happening? And then they just go straight back into fighting, and it's just such a quick beat, like, blink and you'll miss it moment, but it's so good. I must have blinked. <laughs> I missed that shit. That was, that's funny. And then Abby Normal. Abby Normal. I got you Abby Normal's brain. Hmm. Abby Normal. Yeah. Hmm. Are you telling me I put an abnormal brain in my monster? <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. This whole movie is so good. That's all right. Okay. Grouchy. No, that Mr. I mean, that's, it's very humorous. Mr. Oscar the Grouch. No, it's very humorous. I think he's written better shit, but it's very humorous. Um, I thought it was really funny that the inspector cheated at darts. <laughs> for no for no reason. It's not like they were wagering something. It's not like they were, like, dick measuring or anything. He just straight up cheats at darts. And it's not like... It's not like Frankenstein, like, has, like, picture-perfect aim. He gets a bullseye, and then he goes for, like... A 20, I think, and he hits somewhere else off bullseye. I mean, it's a good throw, but it's not like hugely impressive other than the bullseye. Mm-hmm. And so he just cheats on the next hand. Doesn't make any fucking sense. And then he goes farther and makes him mess, makes mess up every throw. Which comes back to bite him. Karma comes straight back around for him, though. That's true, it does. Because uh, he destroyed his whole car. With darts. There were like eight darts out the window, destroying the wheel, both wheels, and the spare. 
Yeah, there were more darts in the car than were thrown. And in the guy's helmet, too. Mm -hmm. Very funny. That's, yeah. that's a funny gag. I like that a lot. Um, the whole movie, I, I think out of all of the Mel Brooks movies that we watched so far, this one might be my favorite in terms of balance because it it does such a good job of doing like serious, normal movie things mm -hmm. and balancing it with the absolute absurdity that is the Mel Brooks sense of humor. Um, and the other movies that we've seen, Blazing Saddles, etc., they don't do the same catering to uh, the seriousness of the medium. Um, but I guess to an effect, they've not parodied an old horror movie before, so it's a more serious setting than the westerns that you have in Blazing Saddles where everything's more sort of blown up and all silly. Uh, but I think they did a very good job of balancing like a real plot going on where stuff is occurring and happening while also doing just a bit every 10 seconds. So cheers to them on that. This was probably the best iteration of that. Um, it also, I think it benefits this movie that Mel Brooks does not have a role in it. Because, is he not in this one? No, he's not in this one. Huh. The Actually, the only reason Gene Wilder would do the movie, he made a deal with Mel that the only reason, or the only way he would do the movie is if Mel did not have a part in it. He <laughs> Why? Want, he wanted him to write it and direct it, but he didn't want him to have a signature part in it. Uh, Why? I don't, I don't know. Ask Gene. You can't. He's dead. R.I.P. Um, actually, we were talking about that at the beginning of the, when we were watching the credits of the yeah, movie. Yeah, most everybody in that movie is dead which is sad so sad a lot of them died before they were even 60 like marty feldman had a heart attack uh madeline khan died at like 52 she was young gene wilder lived for a while and so did mel brooks is still alive mel brooks is still alive mel brooks is gonna live until the end of time him and spielberg and uh george lucas all have the fountain of youth i'm convinced they're all just hoarding it because they've, they've all looked the, the exact same, like, my entire life. Maybe. And Cher. The, um, I decided that the antagonist of the movie is actually Frau Blucher. Because I can't figure out why she did anything that she did. Yeah, no. I, she, she doesn't have a single ounce of motivation other than she's horned up for Frankenstein's grandfather. Yeah, they the she has no reason to do any of the she's things. She's just that a she does. menace. She's a public menace. Yeah, she frees the monster. She is the one that made him basically create the monster in the first place, and she doesn't have real motives. For yeah, any she of puppet her... masters the whole plot along and doesn't have a single reason to have done so. It's wild. She's worse than like a Scooby Doo villain, because at least like they generally have motives for why they're doing the thing. It's like yeah, they land explain or. It. Something, but she's just there. She's the ultimate chaos muppet. She's she is, just there to fuck up people's she is days. There to fuck around, and it's wild. She and she never her. finds out. Yep, she, she fucks around, out. and she never finds out. Everyone else finds out. Yeah, fuck each other. Um, Peter Boyle is very young in this movie. Well, I say that I don't know how old Peter Boyle was in this movie. Okay, how old? How old's the movie? Nineteen seventy-four. Nineteen seventy-four. Peter Boyle. Is old. 
He is old. He's dead. He I'm is sad. dead. He, he was really 74? He was born in 35. So he was like 40s. So he's not that young. He's not that young. But he was also one of those actors who had like a bigger career way later on in his life than he did when he was younger. Yeah. He, But he also plays really, like, he plays crotchety old man really well. And a lot of his roles in his later life were that. I mean, he was Raymond's dad, and he was... He was in X-Files. Yeah, he was in a bunch of shit. And a lot of those roles were just him being angry. I mean, this one, too, mm-hmm. is a lot of him just looking angrily at the camera. And so. Yeah. He, uh... He's also in the Santa Claus movies. It's Father Time. Yeah. I forgot about that. Um, but he's yeah, in a lot he, of shit. He's a very storied actor. And so I guess, yeah, he was in his 40s then when he did this movie, which isn't really, it's younger than, I, th- I thought he was younger when he was in the movie because I guess the black and white sort of helps because you can't really tell how old he is, but you can tell he's definitely wearing a cap a skull cap that gives him that classic Peter Boyle haircut that he would then have in real life for all of Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, so, you know, I, th- I think that's just wonderful how young and interesting he was in this movie. Um, the soup, wine, and cigar gags in the Gene Hackman scene are hilarious. Oh, in the in the blind man, the blind yeah. man that is also in the book. And man, I paid I, attention in school. I didn't know where that scene was gonna go because <laughs> that it's a dude who's like kind of a monk, and he's praying for a companion, and then instantly Frankenstein's monster is there, and then he's like, "Oh, you and me are gonna be very close." And I was like, "Hey, whoa, buddy." And and I He just wanted a friend. Yeah, he, he just wanted a friend. He didn't mean close like that. Yeah, well, I don't know, man. The Catholics are special, okay? Um so it, you know, I didn't know where it was gonna go, and I was like, is Mel Brooks really throwing down like this right now? Is this how this is gonna go? It's it's an interesting take for him. And he doesn't usually do that. He usually pokes fun at his own clans of people. Uh, but it sideswiped me and we just had jokes about blind people instead. <laughs> And pouring soup in people's laps. That's a great physical bit of like them trying him trying to like catch trying the to catch soup. the soup and he can't do it. He just can't do it. And the cigar where he lit his thumb on fire. Ooh wee. That's funny. Um Also real real big talk from the blind man who can't see the fire to say that the fire is not scary. Yeah, right. You don't know. You can't see, you don't know. You don't know what it's like. Uh I don't have another note until they go to do like the showcase where they reveal the monster to the world. Okay, well. Uh, so what happens between the blind man and there? They lure the monster with the violin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catch him in a net. Yep. Take him back. They have the whole bit where they lock him in the room and he tells them, no matter how cruelly I beg you, no matter what I say, no matter what you hear, how loudly I scream, do not open this door. And then he goes in the room and immediately tries to get out. And yeah, he tur- goes in there, the monster like makes one aggressive noise and movement, and he's like, No, no, let me, out, let me out, let me out. Jesus Christ, let me out. Open ah. the door. There's a lot of swearing in that one particular scene. Yes, there is a lot of swearing in that scene. This movie's rated PG. Yeah. You know what? Mm, I don't 
know if I want to talk about it on the podcast. Um, fuck it. I once dated an individual. Okay. Who? Female or uh, male? A female individual. Okay. Bless her heart. Oh God, we're who, in the south. Uh, her mom was something of a content Nazi. Uh, that's how I know they'll never hear the show. And this is coming from you. Oh, yeah. I'm talking, I was 17, 18 when we dated, and I could, at that point in my life, having been as, uh, you know, sort of tampered down on what I could and could not watch uh, based on my household, I was allowed to watch pretty much whatever. At that point in my life, I was 17, 18 years old. I went to college when I was 17, so I the, the control was lost, basically. So they didn't even, my parents didn't even try. Um, my girlfriend at the time was 20, 21, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, and she, I, I will never forget having her tell me that she could freely watch any G, PG movie, but if it was a PG-13 movie, she had to ask permission. This is a 20-year-old individual. She had to ask permission from her parents. And I was like, oh, oh, no. And I think I was not learned enough in the ways of world i hadn't seen a mel brooks movie yet in my life okay i saw that shit after i was 21 and i could drink so if i could go back in time <laughs> i know where this is going i think it would be very very funny to showcase all the mel brooks movies because they're all pg and they're all heinous is it Men in Tights PG-13? Is Men in Tights? It might be. It was in the 90s. Let me take a look-see here. And Carrie Ells is in it, and he's a sex icon. So I think if I were her, if I was in that story, I would be in prison. Because at some she, point, she, I would have just snapped. She loves her mom. It's strange. I know, but if you were just took my whole personality and personage and put it in that situation... Okay, yeah, Robin Hood Men in Tights is PG-13, so I couldn't have done that, but... I would have just snapped. Spaceballs is PG. Mm-hmm. Uh, History of the World, that's R. Couldn't have done that. Uh, let me see, further back, further back, further back, further back. Oh, God, I have to go so much further back. Uh, Young Frankenstein, PG... Blazing Saddles. Now that one's rated R, but they do say racial slurs in Blazing Saddles, so there's a good reason. So for that really, one to be you rated could R. only show her Young Frankenstein, which is arguably like one of the horniest. It is maybe the, the horniest of the Mel Brooks movies that yeah. I have seen. Yeah, um, I think that would be so funny to me. It would be fucking with an individual on an apocalyptic level. So she could watch her... Goonies. Yeah, but. She was also so innocent of like, like she wanted to be good. She wanted to live up to the extremely high standards that were set before her. Hashtag that's, can't relate. That's very culty. Um, she wanted to be good. So she would like actively try to be good. And so I like, 
I did do a little bit of corruption, but it was like nitpicky things here and there. Like, listen to this band. They're not a Christian band. Uh, and, you know, simple shit like that. See, I feel like as someone who came in and was a highly corruptible force in your family. <laughs> Jesus Christ, don't say it like that. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, like, I came in and I was so the opposite of what your family had. Yeah, up to that point. Yeah, had been around. Like, I was this kid who came from a divorce family who did did not have real restrictions on what I could and could not consume did for most theater, of my life. theater, you weirdo. I was a theater kid. I, like, I feel like I, like, a lot of times I feel like I just was, like, the Kool-Aid man and just kind of, like, burst through a wall and was like, oh, here's the other, the rest of the world in one person. Um, but, like, I actively remember a time where I was involved with your family and your younger sister could still not really consume Harry Potter. Oh, yeah, there's witches in that. And then, like, shortly after me joining your family, that's when Harry Potter was allowed and, like, they started... We could watch Lord of the Rings and there's a fucking wizard in Lord of the Rings. Gandalf the Grey and then the White is a wizard. Who comes back from the dead. Okay? We could watch that shit. Harry Potter was bad. Can we talk about Narnia? Cause... The standards are outrageous. I don't understand them. And I think it's very silly. But we're beyond that now. We're talking about Mel Brooks. Okay. Good, because I was about to go off on a Narnia tangent. We're not going to fucking talk about Narnia. We should have a whole episode of this show dedicated to Narnia. And the Pevensey children. Um, well, I was going to talk about Diggory. Cause... No, fuck that kid, by the way. <laughs> God damn it. You fucking, you fucking started. Why did you fucking bring it up? God damn it. Now we're going to talk about Cedric motherfucking Diggory and Polly fucking Pocket, whatever the fuck her fucking name was. And the fucking rings and how the books are out of order and how none of them are good. Holy shit. <laughs> Polly Pocket and Cedric Diggory. Those are not... <laughs> Those aren't characters. No. They're not even close. No, they're not. I mean, it is Polly. No, Polly's from Silver Polly's, Chair. Yeah, Polly's from the first two books. Can I talk about how... Oh, God damn it. We're fucking way nope, off the reservation right. anyways, here. Anyways, stop it. Polly's also not from the first two books. Anyways. We're so far off the reservation. Young Frankenstein. <laughs> the What else happens before they do the showcase? Um. All right, so we left off. Where did we leave? What if we... What? Okay. I don't know. Um, I how, how, I blacked out. How, how did, did we get, get here? here? <laughs> what happened? Uh, uh, Stop the recording. We got to go back and figure it out. <laughs> Abby normal darts. Um, Frau, Frau Blucher is the antagonist. Yes, we've Peter done that. Peter Boyle so young. Yes, we did that. Soup, wine, and cigar gags. Yep, we did that. And then, so after the after he comes back, they lure him with the violin. Yep. We talked about Scooby-Doo villains. That's yep. how we got here. Okay. That's how we got here. Um, they capture him. They bring him back. They lock him in the room. They do the whole, he don't let me out, no matter him, what. basically. Yep. And then convince they, him that he's loved. Yes. That's what it is. He needs to convince him that he's loved. Don't let me out of the room. And then they go to the showcase. Okay. What? We're back. The showcase is so funny. Because putting on the Ritz is such an old song. Like, okay, I know putting on the Ritz because a Dutch guy called Taco remixed putting on the Ritz in 1982. 
And it was on some of my dad's 1980s burned CDs that he had made to relive some of the hits from when he was growing up. So that's where I know that song from, okay? I didn't know Irving Berlin wrote Putting on the Ritz in like 1920, and it was a little bit racist. And then he rewrote the lyrics in 1946, I think, and made it way less racist. And then fucking uh, 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 Fred Astaire sang it. Yes, Fred Astaire did sing it. And then Ella Fitzgerald sang it. Yeah, it's one of those songs that has been around forever. It's and been around forever. And I didn't even know that. Putting on the Ritz is also one of those songs where I feel like I've just always known it. Oh, yeah, but I have no I idea the first time I heard it. I don't remember where I first heard it, but it's just, it's been locked in my psyche for like... Ever. The other one is Staying Alive. Like, I don't remember the first time I heard Staying Alive. Well, everyone Alive. knows Staying Alive. Exactly. It's, it's by the Bee Gees. It's one of those songs that, like, especially for, I feel like, the millennial generation, that, like, they just have been so incorporated in culture and pop That's culture what, and references. And then... When you ask someone born 1985 to now what the first disco song they can think of comes to their head, it's either going to be Earth, Wind, and Fire. Duh, uh, duh. Do you remember... Or it's going to be Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. That it's disco incarnate. How did we get here? What is happening? We are, talking are we about, on drugs? We are talking about putting on the Ritz. No, putting on the on Ritz. Ah, oh, God damn. Putting on the Ritz. Great song. Um, bum, bum, bum. I just think, oh man, it was such a great bit in the movie that he did putting on the Ritz and tap danced and Frankenstein's monster Played by Peter Boyle in like six inch stilt shoes. So funny. And Peter Boyle ad libbed that shit. I love that. They didn't even know what they were going to do for it until they started like just doing doing it. it. And then he went and everyone fell out laughing. So they just did it a bunch of times. It's tremendous. Um, my next note just says naturally it must go wrong, uh, which I believe because the the showcase goes wrong. Right, the showcase goes wrong because the fucking bulb pops and there's fire and he freaks out. And then people start throwing things at them like hashtag rude. Like, and then he gets mad, of course, and goes down there and starts laying about with his arms, and uh, he fucking gets lifted up and arrested, right, and taken away. And there's actually one death in the movie, and it's the police officer in the room with him who taunts him with the lighter. Yeah, fuck that, guy, that guy. That guy dies. That guy that straight guy up dies. Die. On screen death, that guy dies. Um, Warranted. Justified. I, I concur. But that guy's the only guy who dies, by the way. Uh, and for the rest of the movie, it is just about sex. The rest, the, There's nothing else that happens for the rest of the movie. Literally. It's like the movie stops... When the monster gets arrested. And then from there on... It's actually really when the fiancé rolls into town. That's when Hornyville strikes. Does she get there before the showcase? She gets there right after because they do the whole thing where she's... uh, Inga's like, I wish I could just... And she's just all over his hand. If there was only some way I could help. (laughs) Right. So that's horny. Uh, Outright. And then Igor... Uh, transforms Igor. what the fuck ever 
transforms into his third act variety of Igor uh, and becomes just king of the horn dogs. Uh, go directly to horny jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Directly to jail. Uh, he's trying to fuck everyone who breathes. It's just like, and he at no point prior to this was he even indicative that he was a little bit horny at all. And he had been around Inga, who he then proceeds to try to bone in the back half of the movie. And he never does it prior. It's as soon as the fiance shows up, everyone's just like, that's right. We're people. We fuck. And that's what the whole movie's about. I cannot explain enough how just flabbergasted I was in the third act of the movie. When the fiance shows up, who we have established is a terrible character. She is a mean and nasty person. (laughs) She shows up and everyone just starts to get mad horny out of nowhere. It's unexpected. It doesn't make sense. There's no buildup to it. It just like happens. It's like they were on a coke fueled writing binge in Gene Wilder's apartment at three o'clock in the morning. Half a bottle of wine deep. Four lines of coke done each. And they're sitting there, paper strewn about the room. And it's Gene Wilder with his hair askew. And it's Mel Brooks stomping around going, why can't I make more jokes about the Jews in this movie? And he goes, Gene goes, no, no, you're not in the movie. We can't do that. And they go, I know what we'll do. They arrest the monster. And the fiance arrives. And from then on, bang, everybody's horny. Everybody tries to fuck. That's what we'll do. It'll be instantaneous. Yes, America. If I could talk about something that's not horny. Did something else happen? Well, I was just going to say, I because I mentioned it while we were watching it, too, but I wanted to bring it up on the podcast uh, to, just to give us something else to talk about briefly. Um, the whole fact that they waited the perfect amount of time, like, because it's very clear that there's, like, chemistry between Inga and, and Frederick. Friend, yeah. And so, like, the whole time you're like, will they, won't they? Like, they're so flirty. And then by the time they actually do it and the fiancé comes back into the picture, as a viewer... Oh, I forgot they fucked before the fiancé mm-hmm, gets back. As a viewer, you all have this moment of like, oh, shit, yeah, there's a fiancé. So, like, they waited the perfect time to, like, from introducing her to bring her back in to the point that the viewer was like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. I forgot that this was a person. Yeah, and so... It would be like if we had a uh, Wizarding World movie where Tina Goldstein is in the first five minutes... And then disappears for the rest of the movie. And then comes back in the last five minutes. And you go, oh shit, that's right, she's here. Who knew? Wasn't that just the last? Why, yes it was. And that was the best Fantastic Beasts movie. Congratulations, America, you figured it out. I was like, wasn't she there and then gone? And then she came back and was like, yes. Yes, that is precisely correct. Um, Yeah, so... I just wrote, dude, I, my notes are the fiance gets there and Igor acts like all the way out of pocket. And it's just Igor. What the fuck? I love it, though, because that's a really the funny part about that whole joke with Igor. 
and the fiance is he just goes and repeats the same lines of dialogue that Gene Wilder's character Frederick just did, and it's under different contexts. Like, yes, it's it's, it's, it's so such good. a good joke, but out of pocket entirely, entirely out of pocket. Uh, my notes go in order. Igor, what the fuck? This movie is mad horny. Uh, and that happened during the scene where uh, he's just like up against his fiance and he's just trying to get laid so bad. And he's she just is holding just... her mirror too while she's like filing. Yeah, her he's just like so. And she's like, wouldn't you rather wait he's... until I'm legally yours? And he's like, no, the, no, bro. Th- the modern day term for it is down bad. One could say down apocalyptic. He's One DTF. Could say down horrendous he is so so desperate to get laid and she will not let him have it uh and i'm sitting there like oh what a tease and the best joke is just he goes to kiss her and she stops him this was improvised as well by the way she stops him and goes no tongue and so gene wilder for the rest of the scene just held his tongue still he was going to do the lines normally. And then she got his ass with no tongues. And he just did the rest of the, Everyone fell out laughing. And I really like the whole... I mean, she becomes Frankenstein's bride, too, which is a Instantly. Whole, a whole thing. Like, she, he breaks into her room. She passes out from fear. She gets white streaks in her hair. And then she, they go and they, they roll go in and the say, hey. And she gets the business. And that's when I wrote that... In all caps, the movie has taken a turn, and it is in fact the horniest. Uh, as then seven, everyone got seven laid. quickies and Se- dog, and then they just leave, just like all the men. I think I'm in love. Like Jesus Christ, holy moly! And then what, it, I think- it happens so fast that you don't really. And it's that thing of just every single thing is a bit. For every thirty seconds, there's a bit. It's so good, and it's so funny, and it's so fast. You don't have time to process all the insane shit that's happened in the last minute before new insane shit is happening in front of you. You uh, you didn't really mention because your notes kind of end there, and then but you don't talk about the whole luring the monster back, brain transfer. Oh yeah, I was too. I was just flabbergasted at the horny. I couldn't get over it. I could. I was just. I was just sitting there, head in hands, going, I, what just happened? I don't know what happened. I think it's, uh, it's what's really important about the brain transfer is it sets up the final end joke of the movie is because, um, they- He gets Frankenstein's monster's dick. Yeah, because Inga has this whole thing. She's like, you know, he took half your brain. Part of your brain. Oh yeah, he took part of your brain, so what did you get in return in this exchange? And, and the the monstrous zoom. I'm talking the biggest macro sitcom zoom. You never see this shit in Hollywood. You never see this shit in the movies. And you get just the most sitcom zoom in 1976. The most modern day sitcom zoom directly to Gene Wilder's eyes in black and white. It's fucking Mm. 360p and he does the groan and she cut to black and she's getting railed, dude. It is 
And then she starts singing the fucking song. This is the song that you get the when you have the best of the orgasm of your life, apparently. <laughs> um. So yeah, no, I I really enjoy this whole movie. But you're right that that's a that's a cut that I would expect to see like in a show like Modern Family, where absolutely it's all about like, just those. a quick zoom cut. That's in the office. That and they all can claim that they learned it from this because I've never seen a piece of older media than that do that sort of super fast comedy zoom. Now, I gotta say, I haven't seen a lot of pieces of media older than that. I've seen some classics, but the classics don't have those comedy edits, those comedy bits. And, dude, I'm gonna say it. I think Mel Brooks started the trend of that super zoom. Well, I mean, he's a big big support of the fourth wall break so when you have those uh fourth wall breaking shows like modern family the office you're gonna get a lot more of those like glance at camera and then like hard zoom in on their face like even in a crowd where you're just like can you believe this shit like so I, good it's 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 great it's if excellent. we don't have that we don't have deadpool all right that's i'm sorry i had a stroke um can we now do, do our tears we have to we have to tier list your your favorite Mel Brooks movies that we've watched, my favorite Mel Brooks movies that we watched, and then we have to put them, I think, into one United City Waves tier list of Mel Brooks movies. Okay. All right. Um. So you yours first. Let's get some pens and paper, baby. Let's get this sorted. My first one. Let me get a clean sheet of paper because that's our movie list, which is just on the back of a notice from my HOA. Um. Okay, here we go. All right, so mine definitively goes Young Frankenstein is my number one. I cannot write. This is why I hate pencils. Stop writing so aggressively. I am a, I'm heavy-handed. Young Frankenstein, uh, Men in Tights, then Spaceballs, and then... Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles is my least favorite, but as we all know from our two podcasts about them, America's not a fan of the Western movies. That's true. So doing a parody on them just makes me agree with all the jokes and not find them funny. I Western. I would bad. imagine that you would like Blazing Saddles the most because it lampoons Westerns so much. Yeah, but it's... It, the thing about... Okay... The thing about when you parody a Western is you're still making a Western. Sure. Whereas the other parodies, even though they're parodying very specific movies like uh, Spaceballs, Men in Tights, Young Frankenstein, they're also their own stories. And I don't feel like they... You don't think Blazing Saddles had a plot? Well, no, but here's the thing is... Okay, let me rephrase this. I enjoy all those other mediums, so the fact that the story is a parody off those mediums, that still makes it part of the medium. Like, Spaceballs is still a sci-fi parody. Uh, Young Frankenstein is a horror, classic horror, but horror movie parody. And uh, Men in Tights is a Robin Hood parody or an old, like, an English comedy parody. And having those, having... The fact that I already like those mediums and those genres doesn't make a parody set in that genre obnoxious. Whereas I don't like westerns, so a parody 
set about westerns is still a fucking western and it still does it i don't like it <laughs> i didn't like million ways to die in the west and i liked blazing saddles progressively more than a uh, million ways to die in the west but i still don't like i don't think it's the best mel brooks movie i don't think you know how parodies work but that's neither here nor there they're making fun of the thing but they're still it's still watching a western it's a Make fun of Western, but it's still a fucking Western. Uh, all right, give me your... Run it down. Run it down for me. My list again? Oh, you already said it. Young okay. Frankenstein, Men in Tights, Spaceballs, Blazing Saddles. Okay. Here we go. This is not even remotely similar. Men in Tights, Blazing Saddles, Spaceballs, Young Frankenstein. How in God's name are we supposed to combine these lists into one United City Waves tier list? Well, because Men in Tights is... It's got to be the first one. Top one so Men in, in Tights both of ours. Has Men in to Tights be is... number one for the channel. Uh, what was your second one? Blazing Saddles. What was your third one? Spaceballs. And Younger Frankenstein was last for you. So then, by that math... Uh, Spaceballs would be number three because we both put it in our mid-tier. So, Or Spaceballs would be number two because we both ranked it mid-tier. So we're taking the averages here. Um, and then it would have to go Young Frankenstein and then somehow Blazing Saddles ends up at the bottom. Where's Blazing Saddles on your list? Second. Those, our second... Those probably... Yeah. it'll It would be a tie for third then because... A tie for third between... Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. Yeah, because you can't divide that because it's the uh, it's the exact opposite. Which Young is funny because I would a hundred percent of the time watch Blazing Saddles over Spaceballs. Like if you sat down and you were like, which of these three Mel Brooks movies do you want to watch? Blazing Saddles, Spaceballs, or Young Frankenstein? I pick Blazing Saddles every time. It would have made things easier if you had ranked Spaceballs lower than Blazing Saddles. Well, I mean. Because then Blazing Saddles would be in Spaceball spot. Yeah, but Blazing Saddles is better. I'm just saying. Um, I think, okay, here's the reasons. Men in Tights is the overall best. It's got the best plot. It's got the best actors. It's got the best jokes. It's, it's, why it's maybe the most quotable why it's a uh, number one on our combined list because it's second place on mine and first on yours Spaceballs has the approval of george lucas is very very funny the bits are immaculate i really i one of my favorite jokes uh, probably out of all of the mel brooks movies comes from Spaceballs, and it's come the desert no oh that's my maybe my favorite joke from that movie mine's the the straight-to-release DVD. <laughs> That's such or, a good Or, not gag. DVD. It was That's a VHS. A it was gag. a VHS back then, but the oh, straight-to-release so VHS where they're like, wait, we can watch the movie. It's coming out right now. We're making the movie. Like, that whole bit is That's just... so funny. So I also... Funny. I think Men in Tights has the best cast. I think Spaceballs has maybe a better cast, except for it's a waste of John Candy. Okay. I think John Candy is so much a better performer than what he got to do in Spaceballs. 
not to say he did a bad job, but the role could be attained at the same level with half a dozen other actors. Um, and I think it's just an extraordinary waste of the talent of John Candy. Let's do what we did with Meow Wolf. So th- that's our overall list. But, uh, for example, who had the best story? Uh... Blazing Saddles has the best story. <laughs> See, I would say Young Frankenstein has the best story, which we're just going to disagree on this. We're just going to disagree. Young, um, Young Frankenstein has the best first two acts of all of them. Who, Who has the best bits? The best bits? Men in tights. Men in tights, yeah. Men in tights for sure. Um, And then you already said the best cast is Men in tights, which I would agree with. And then Spaceballs would be up there. Spaceballs is up there because you have a lot of really good. There's some people really, there. and there's it's a bunch of B-list actors in mm-hmm. Spaceballs who are just home run hitters. They're so good. You really picked like the uh, like the top of your B-list actors. Yeah, it's and, like, like pulled them into one movie. B-movie royalty in Spaceballs, and also John Candy and uh, 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 John. No, no, no. What's the Darth Sad Boy? <laughs> fucking. <laughs> What's his fucking name? I can't remember the actor's name. Help. Save me. He played Seymour. I I know. He was in that other movie where he played a wimp. He plays a lot of wimps. He's very good He's at very it. He's very nerdy. Send help. What's his name? I can't with It has disappeared. Darth, Darth, Darth sad boy. Rick Moranis. You're too slow. I couldn't stop laughing enough to type because you just Rick. called him Darth Vader sad boy. <laughs> sentence was going to end I, I Rick and you Moranis. went for sad boy which Rick, it's not what that term is Rick Moranis is in the he's just a sad little guy Rick <laughs> Moranis is in, he's so good he's an A-lister and so is John Candy uh, oh and Bill God. Pullman could have been but he's king of the B, B movie guys um, Young Frankenstein also has like a shitload of B movie guys and also Gene Wilder <laughs> It's like throwing a Tim Curry in your film. It's like, oh. Well. It's absolutely like having Tim Curry in your movie. Were Tim Curry and Gene Wilder ever in a movie together? I don't think so, but... I would have uh, loved Madeline Kahn and Tim Curry are both in Clue. That is true. Great movie. Um, didn't we watch that for this podcast? No, we didn't, because we did a drinking game for it and got absolutely hammered. Yeah. There is nothing in this world like a drinking game for Clue... Where you don't drink for the first two-thirds of the movie, and in the third act, you get fucked up beyond recognition in ten minutes. It's bananas. It's all those damn flashbacks. It's all the damn flashbacks. Um, uh, but that, God damn. Okay, so... We really just need to have an episode of the show, maybe after we do the 100th episode special, where we just sit down and bullshit about movies for a couple hours, and we'll just call it the reset episode before I, we go back to movies. I have an idea... For what we're gonna do, but I'll tell you Can that we... later. Um, okay. The Road to El Dorado is our next film. Great, have not seen it. Animated, jumping back into animation, which we haven't been in in a. I, we haven't done an animated movie since, since... Chippendale. Yeah, well, and can we even consider that Sonic too? Have we actually done an a, a pure a pure animated movie? I don't know. Can't think. Um. All right, we will uh, see you next time. For, for the road to El Dorado, for, and then my nightmare, and then possibly. If you thought me watching every Twilight movie in a row to woo this woman was rough, 
you cannot possibly imagine what I have promised to get to do this show. Okay. On the 100th episode. Oh, God, no, don't say it out loud. Don't you say it. I'm not going to say it. Hallelujah. I'm spared the indignation. The embarrassment. The humiliation. They'll know soon. <laughs>